you know, they saw one side. Income tax or a PFD cut is going to cost me. But they never really got the feeling that the other side, cuts, will cost them. Mm-hmm. And now they're seeing it. You're listening to the AK Ledger Podcast with John Arono and Craig Tootin. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the AK Ledger Podcast. My name is John Arono. With me always is Craig Tootin. And together we are akledger.com. Uh, head there to read the latest goings-on in Juno, as covered from our desk chairs in Anchorage. Today, we are super stoked to have with us former State House Representative Jason Gren. Jason was an independent who represented District 22, which covers the Sand Lake neighborhood and surrounding areas in West Anchorage. And uh, now he's a spectator, and there's quite a show going on in Juno right now. So without any further ado, joining us in the studio today, we are so happy to have, uh, I guess we have to say former state state representative, Jason Gren, now. I, I'm, I'm a little annoyed that I have to say former. <laughs> it's, How do you feel about it? Uh, yeah, yeah, a mixed bag, right? No, it's, it's uh, titles were always strange. I never got comfortable people calling me representative in the first place, so mm-hmm. former representative sounds even more of like a, a thing we have to say. Um, so, um, but yes, thank you for inviting me. Uh, pleasure to, to be talking with you guys today. So I know that you've been pretty vocal on Twitter. Um, this has quickly become my favorite question to ask people. Because it, it's starting to feel kind of like, you know, where were you when you learned that Princess Di, you know, got killed? Where, where were you? Where were you when you saw the proposed budget for the first time? Yeah, where was I? Um, it, it was definitely on social media, obviously. You know, the, the, the great thing about Twitter and, and Facebook, you know, whatever platform you're on, is that you don't have to be where you want to be to get the inside scoop and, mm-hmm. and get the tracks, you know, and get the, uh, the insider information. And so, um, being here in Anchorage, you know, I can follow every committee I want or whatever's happening, whoever's live tweeting. And it was, uh, it was amazing to, to watch that unravel and just that world. If you're into hashtag AK ledge or, you know, following people on, on, on Facebook to, to see it explode. I mean, in so many different ways of just, you know, of, of disbelief, anger, shock um and it really consumed uh i mean and it has it still has you know a month later say, that explosion the, is still happening it, <laughs> and i i mean it's been encouraging and inspiring and frustrating and and everything just as a normal citizen now to kind of watch that because i i want to chime in much more than i have on people's facebook feeds or twitter um but i try not to i think i don't want to be that guy like oh He's trying to stay relevant or, oh, he's trying to, um, you know, make a name for himself or anything, which is not me. Oh, now but... that you're not in power, you have plenty to uh, say, huh? Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man, the, the leash is off and watch this guy. I mean, so I try to share my perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, people go, oh, this is happening X. I can go, well, here's actually how or why, uh, at least, you know, in the short term that I got to be a part of it. So um, I've, I've really been active, you know, telling people to stay engaged and learn and be educated. Um, especially this budget is, you know, transformational. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, however you feel about it, even if, even if you love this budget, it's, this would ultimately shape Alaska for, for years and decades. If you hate it, the same thing. So, um, it's been, it's been just riveting TV, riveting phone activity to, to watch this <laughs> I, thing go I through. I think when it, when, when it first dropped, there was... You know, everybody had their reactions on Twitter. I think you, Andrew Halcrow, and me all dropped the same um, uh, quote from Hammond, uh, which 
I don't remember right off the top of my head, but it was the same one. I quickly was like, oh, fine, guys, still, you know. <laughs> I thought I was clever for bringing that the, one up. The, the Hickel quote is... is uh, Oh, you did the Hickel yeah, quote. Yeah, I did the Hickel That's quote, right. but, okay. I, but I saw, I mean, this iteration of, look... You know, we're more, you know, the Hickel quote is, is focused on if you're just down there to cut the budget, then maybe rethink how you want to be part of Alaska's history mm-hmm. and future. Um, you know, and, and we have such great short history where people can go, oh, I talked to that guy. And I remember having a coffee with him. Um, whereas I think if you're in, in many other states, you can go, oh, well, our forefathers 100, 200 years ago. But we can say, look at the, the, the people who kind of shaped you know, our constitution, who've kind of shaped our, our state. You can say, yeah, we, we have a, a history that, that is still fresh and the stories still exist, I mean, in, in people's life, you know, conversations. And so it was not, uh, it was really cool to see people just go, you know, they had that instant knowledge of like, no, I remember this quote because I've been reading on him or, or he had an interview that was so impactful in my life. And, and you can say, nope, I'm going to find this quote exactly, put it out there in the world to see, to remind people. And we have a, a history we can talk about still. Um, it's not a abstract academic thought or someone, you know, uh, some other guy. It's, it's actually first hand account. Yeah. yeah. First primary account source document. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, I think that's a spoil that, that uh, people who grew up here don't really understand the depth of, I mean, I mean, from for me, when I first moved up here, you know, 15 years ago, coming up from California, I like to make the comment that if you try to get involved in politics in the lower 48, especially in populated, you know, densely populated states, the most you can hope for, unless you're shelling out like, you know, thousands of dollars to, to in campaign donations is to end up on a mailing list somewhere. You know, when I first moved up here... And I'd go to a community council meeting and I'd meet with legislators and they'd be like, oh, here's my cell phone number if you... And that concept, the, the entire concept was just completely foreign to me. Um, and we have that. I feel like we're losing that a little bit, um, especially in this kind of new era of opaqueness. I think we saw this with when D- Dan Sullivan ran for Senate. He had his campaign party and it was a private event. Uh, media wasn't let in. Had at to be the on fat a fat ptarmigan at the fat ptarmigan, um, and it it was Not this to very call anybody s- out or anything, right? Good pizza, <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it literally was. It was this bizarre display where a lot of the journalists we we came out of um, election central, and there was just a row of us across the street taking pictures of the window front of fat ptarmigan because that's as close as we could get. Flash forward to. This week, we've had Governor Dunleavy come out and announce his roadshow uh, to explain the budget, kind of, you know, try to garner more public support in the face of, I think, the outcry that we've seen against the proposed budget. And now we found out that this roadshow, this tour in support of his budget is put on by Americans for Prosperity, which is an outside, very um, conservative group. People have to register to come. They have to... Uh, you know, no signs or anything like that. No recordings. You know, it, it just seems it's it's worrisome to me. So I, obviously, for the for the vested interest as a journalist, but also as just an average person who wants to show up, have that kind of close relationship with their legislators, in, including the governor. It it feels like the way that the parameters have been set around this roadshow, it almost feels like they're trying to direct a campaign commercial. You know, in terms of manufacturing support. Uh, guiding the dialogue. How do you see our public process right now? And, and are, do, you, do you share those concerns? Yeah, my, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned moving up here and having kind of access to politicians and our elected leaders. My wife was from Washington. We moved up here right after co- college, 2003. 
the next summer we're at REI backpack shopping and Tony Knowles was backpack shopping next to us. I said, oh, that's, that's the former, you know, two-time governor of Alaska just, you know, recently. She's like, what? Like, where's the security detail? Why is he just out right, there? Right, exactly, yeah. And I said, no, it's Alaska. This is like, I mean, this is, this is part of the course. Mm-hmm. You know, you can run into, you know, whoever, getting a cup of coffee and talk to people. And that's, you know, and that's how I felt, you know, I, where I was uh, representing, um, I went to Diamond High. You know, that's my, that's my neighborhood. Um, felt very prideful in that going, look, when I show up to Fred Myers, people can grab me and go, Hey, I have a bone to pick with you. Or I got some, you know, encouraging to say, or I have a question. Um, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you kind of spin it now to go, well, we're going to have these kind of events that are going to be very focused on who we want to be there in terms of a, of a, of a panel and discussion. You know, I was actually somewhat okay with AFP sponsoring and kind of setting things up until I saw some of the other panel members. It wasn't just government officials. I think they have someone from the policy forum yep. is on the panel. I, I mean, not the I, most, uh, if, if anybody's not familiar with the Alaska uh, policy forum, sorry. it's uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, probably a lot of people aren't even people who follow this closely. They were, these are the folks that published all of the uh, names and salary of uh, Anchorage school district teachers. They put up a lot of, technical looking charts to kind of frame the narrative in their way, but they're very anti-tax, very, um, uh, you know, reduce funding for schools, reduce funding for education at all costs, not really taking in. Craig, I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts uh, on this. No, I was just going to say g- generously referred to as a think tank. Yeah, yeah. Y- yes. I, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. And, and there's no, again, very narrowly focused um whatever facts that you present on your side mean are kind of meaningless to them. And so, you know, my question on, if you're trying to sell a budget, which this is what these roadshows, I guess on his side are supposed to do. There's no balance of thought, right? There's no, you know, where's the private sector, you know, some CEOs, where's the nonprofit sector, where's the healthcare sector, where, where are some of the other thought leaders and stakeholders who are going to be impacted to say, no, here's how we're impacted good and bad by this. I mean, you know, however, People want to frame it. Um, so obviously when something's so one-sided um, and something is so kind of focused on the the message they want to put out there, uh, it's disheartening. Because I think if you would have had any previous governor um, had something similar to this, we would have rightfully been upset about it. Do you think that's, I mean, to me, that's kind of a... It's it's it it adds to my fear that this is becoming a product of our time, and and you might be able to speak to this in, for your time in the legislature. But the quick disappearance of shared communal knowledge, right? Where policy forum is as a prime example. If you only present one side of the argument and you limit the conversation to that side of the argument, you're not allowing for the full scope of the truth to be out there you're you're just kind of limiting your audience to see one set of perspectives and you'll hear this in terms of uh any any time there's controversial or or contested public testimony on any given bill whether it's any of the crime reform bills we've heard uh where you'll have two different completely night and day antithetical sets of talking points where you can tell people have been given 10 bullet points, which they've accepted as scripture, you know, and another side has a different 10 and there's no, no room for nuance. Right. Or, or even entertaining the other 10 talking points as possible being like, huh, that sounds like 
something that I've experienced. Maybe I should worry about that too, beyond my list of 10 things. Do you think that the, the, in the Venn diagram of information, that overlap where, you know, multi- multiple Getting sides. Smaller and smaller. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're all just on this, like, you know, we're the little sad polar bear on the, on the melting ice cap floating away into to the ether. Yeah, I would say, and I think political scientists and, and, those in media and people say that it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it has, I think in our generation in the last 15, 20 years. And I think, um, you see that in polling where people say, you know, um, you know, they're, they're sick of this sort of, you know, fighting, but we keep voting for people who show themselves to be, uh, campaigning on, on things like you're mentioning, very one-sided, very half truth, very, you know, forgetting to use a counter argument. Um, and, you know, it's something that, you know, again, in my short time in office, I just wanted people to hear the facts and agree on the facts. We can disagree on the solutions, mm-hmm. but I, I'm just going to present the facts that I get them as, you know, as a member of House Finance. Here's the here's the here's the public testimony tally, yay or nay on something. And here's, you know, as opposed to going, well, you know, 59 percent of people said the X and I'm going to go with that. And, you know, using my how I wanted it, it was just being honest and transparent and I think when you're focused on winning and losing, that's the way you have to do it. You, mm-hmm. you, you'll do anything to score the political point for your team and, um, you know, facts be damned. And that's, and like I said, mentioned earlier was that's why I've been just trying to encourage people just keep engaging, keep engaging, keep engaging because you know, the, the educated electorate that's, I mean, as long as you have information, then you have to choose what to do with it. Here's, here's the information. Some of these, some of these facts disagree with my talking points or my scripture, uh, what am I going to do with that now? Mm-hmm. How am I going to digest it? How am I going to, uh, you know, think about this and, and move forward? I might dismiss them all after reading them, but then at least now you've been presented with all the information and facts from both sides, and now you've chosen to, to do what you want to. It's that it's that part after we scream our, um, you know, predetermined list of things that we want the legislature to hear. You know this is what I care about. This is why you're wrong on this, blah, blah, blah. And and I think you're speaking to that part that rarely happens where then the person sits and listens to other people speak and contemplates it and maybe uh, uses it to challenge their own assumptions uh, and, and move on as a stronger person it, yeah, when, when every, with a stronger argument. When every other person is the devil or mm-hmm. whatever name you want to, whatever people call each other nowadays, horrible names, uh, <laughs> um, and I'm on Twitter now. I could look a few yes. up for you. <laughs> yeah, what are people calling, you know, <laughs> Governor Dunleavy today or Governor Walker today, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you turn off the TV or you, you know, you, you close the, you know, you don't read Facebook anymore. You don't, you don't read the rest of the article because you got, you know, uh, you got supported in your ideas. Um, it's, it's too bad. It's, yeah. and, and, and like I said, you know, I was just trying to always present information where we could agree on the information and facts and then we would move forward. And if I, if I saw the information, you know, I saw the information and said, okay, here's how my solution means changing the, the permanent fund structure and an income tax. You can disagree with that, but we're both trying to, at least we're agreeing that there's a deficit. We're both agreeing that there's, you know, we have to fund education at certain levels because of this information. And, and, uh, Right now, it's it's hard to see that happening, especially when you have um, you know a governor's office who is closing that sort of conversation based on um, you know this road this the parameters of this roadshow. Mm-hmm. Do you think being politically unaffiliated has made you more approachable or or trustworthy source of some of those facts, or does it create more suspicion? 
<laughs> no, and that was something I was always battling with. It was interesting because um, up until the day I ran for office, I was a Republican my entire life. Mm. Ran as an unaffiliated person because I, again, just wanted to have normal conversations with my neighbors and say, I don't see this as partisan issues. I see these as, you know, fact-based problems. You know, the solutions are fact-based. They don't, they don't have to be, you know, melded into our philosophies that um, we live and die from. Um, so I think when... When I was presenting information, people, I think, I hope anyways, took it as combined with my character and the integrity I was trying to act with, took it as, okay, here's here's honest information, here's not one-sided, here's something that I get to choose what to do with now. Um, you know, education. I got, I got grabbed by both sides of the aisle, neighbors who go, hey, I, I didn't vote for you, but please do something about education. Or I did vote for you, and I'm counting on you to do something about education. And I think it was because, one, they trusted me as just the neighbor who was, you know, the, the neighborhood representative, neighborhood dad. Um, but also because it didn't hopefully feel like I was pitching my, my, my party, my side only. Um, and now I think people maybe wish they had that more. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I think, you know, again, watching, watching, uh, you know, gavel and Twitter and stuff, it seems like every question is just, everyone's just trying to get that slam dunk point for them and their size. <laughs> yep. They can, you yep. know, they can, uh, you know, use to, you know, belittle and, and destroy the other team, which is unfortunate. So the, the unaffiliated part of it, I think helps when you're, when you're just trying to, um, be factual and pragmatic. Obviously, you know, people, people accused me of being, you know, a flaming liberal, even, you know, at the same time I was like, you know, about 12 months ago, I was a 16 year long Republican, you know, um, but you know, because of one vote or, you know, you say one thing and, and because that fits their narrative. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the goal always was that, you know, the unaffiliated part would, would allow people to, um, just have conversations based in fact and, and, and reality as opposed to, you know, party talking points. Um, one thing we're doing, we're going through the process of right now in the legislature, which Craig has been on like crazy, uh, is the finance subcommittee process. Uh, you had the interesting um, experience of, of being a freshman representative put on house finance. Um, describe that process. Cause I mean, as an observer, that is a shit ton of information coming at you at a, in a very quick period of time <laughs> with huge consequences. I mean, uh, how, how do you, uh, how do you approach that? How do you, what's the division of labor look like? Like take us through the experience. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, generally, and you, you don't see a lot of freshmen on the finance committees because right. there, there needs to be general, it helps to have that foundational knowledge of how the budget process works. Mm -hmm. Um, I consider myself a quick, a quick study of things and I like learning. So it was easy for me to kind of dive in and read and ask questions. I'm very curious by nature. And so I had no problem going to different commissioners and, and deputies to talk about things. I also had a great staff who was, they were to, all available to you back then. Uh, very much so. In fact, uh, <laughs> we're probably knocking on our door before we did to say, Hey, how can I help you? How can I, you know, and this was a little different, you know, it was in the middle of, the middle of a governor's term, mm -hmm. they, they probably felt a little more um, confident and competent themselves as, as commissioners and, and experts in what they were dealing with had gone through the budget a few times themselves. Um, I had great staff who was willing to learn, but yeah, it is, it is chaos because by, and this was a little different again, 
we had the budget ready to go, uh, the governor's budget to look at as opposed to the middle of February. Mm-hmm. Um, so this time during my term, we we were getting close to being done with the with the going through the finance part, let alone the subcommittee part. So the subcommittee, um, it had changed from the previous two years to try to have more transparency. Transparency. Uh, Representative Seaton was the, was the co-chair of, of, of finance at the time, decided to do some things differently. And that caused a lot of angst and, and people yelling because they said it, it shut them out or anything. So they went back this time. It looks like they went back to the old ways. And now people are upset because it's, you know, they're not part of the process or anything. So I don't know if there's a perfect way. Um, how we did it again was allowing time for amendments, allowing time for discussion, allowing, uh, I mean, good enough time so that if you were going to dive in as part of the subcommittee, you felt part of the process. It's up to a member to choose how much time they want to be a part of it. If they, if they think that this is predetermined or they have no reason to be there, which happened even when I was there, I had people leave five minutes into, into meetings because they, I mean, they made less of a stink about it than this past week. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it, it was, uh, it was unfortunate that again, everyone's willing to put in the time. This impacts everyone, your constituents, want you to speak up when you have a problem with something as opposed to just leaving. So I don't know if there's a perfect process. The process I thought that we went through during my term was, was pretty fair mm-hmm. and transparent as best it can be. What was the time period in your experience in terms of when amendments had to be put in, uh, how much time you had to see, you know, everything that was going to be on the uh, agenda to, I, to be voted on. I think what we did was, I mean, we put out the whole calendar mm-hmm. before the first subcommittee meeting going, here is the dates and times meeting places and the meeting expectations of each meeting. So, you know, two or three meetings of overviews. Um, the next meeting we would have would be, I think, a, again, a process meeting. The next meeting would be amendments going through the amendments that were submitted. But we, I think we allowed, if I remember right, about a week before we said, okay, uh, turn your amendments in. We will work with you if they're deemed not within the purview of what the committee is doing. I think like we weren't going to eliminate PCNs during our, our subcommittee process. So if there was an amendment to eliminate those, we would say, hey, those are going to be out of order. Do you want to work on that? That's so position counts. The, Thank sorry. you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> the one acronym that you know uh, I'll try not to use again. Um, so we were, we were always saying we want to work with you any committee member. Um, and I think we did it in about a, a week between, you know, amendment pro- amendments can be turned in now and the next meeting in one week, we would go through these amendments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the complaint was, you know, they didn't even get the budget or, or they didn't see what was going to be proposed on a Friday afternoon. And then the meeting was on a Monday, you know, and I kind of roll my eyes at that because there was not a day you're not working in Juno when you're, de- I mean, and we're referring to the, uh, last week. Um, it was, uh, representative uh, Johnson was the the primary representative Delana. Delana Johnson, Johnson. Yeah, yeah, and then Josh Revac and uh, Ben Carpenter. Carpenter yeah, yeah, all all three of those are the minority members that sit on the um, Education and Early Development Subcommittee. And their complaint was uh, they only had weekend days and presumably nights uh, to review the documents. Um, Craig, in, in your article that you wrote, you pointed out that. Uh, during your time there, uh, last session, it was the exact opposite. Yeah, the the House minority during the 30th um, legislature was really upset with the majority because, uh, and I think this was, again, driven by Representative Seaton, um, wasn't uh, 
working on the floor past about nine or 10 with the idea being, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, you don't do your best work when you're exhausted. Um, and then the complaint was, well, we really should be working till midnight or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. if we're serious about this budget. And now it seems to have flipped. Right? We just don't have enough time to, to review this budget information. It was. You know, my, my term was right on the heels of uh, Representative Chenault being speaker for many years mm -hmm. that they were doing budget work in 2, 3 in the morning. And I'm aware. We, <laughs> I was, I was which, right here. Which, you know, as a... You know, as a 36-year-old young pup, I get, you know, that uh, with kids, you know, I, I'm fine with no sleep and stuff. But you wouldn't ask that for any work product to be perfect and to be very well thought out if, you know, any any store that, you know, we're going to work for 12 hours, 14 hours a day and, and do things that are so critical um, to be yay or nay on, uh, that could be hard after a while. So I had no problem with us, you know, certain floor meetings, uh, you know, um, going till eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. That, that seemed reasonable. But also on house finance, we were working on Saturday afternoons and taking public testimony all day Saturday and then coming in on Sundays to work. And I was expecting, you know, my staff was in on weekends working all the time. So it did kind of, you know, like I said, I kind of rolled my eyes and you said, oh, the weekend, we didn't, we only had 72 hours to review that that's that doesn't matter what day of the week it is it's 72 hours to review that's all you really need especially mm. if you're ready to put it in and have been doing the work ahead of time as well so that was again these are just you know the huffing and puffing and political point making that every step someone does uh is is what i get tired of and i think the public does too i, I think the same thing happened you know that the house minority said well the finance road show is going to cost all this money Okay, so $50,000 or whatever the investment is to do this. And they made you know a stink about it. And then here comes the governor doing the same thing. Again, the venues are paid for by the AFP, AFP but yeah. the travel, I mean, the expenses to go to Nome and I mean, the, the whatever, you know, meals and, and such, that's, that's coming out of, you know, state coffers. But mm -hmm. there was no huffing and puffing from those same members. It just seemed kind of, you know, you know, Call it as it is, always be consistent. I think that's what is lacking more than anything, some of the consistency behind some of the, uh, you know, the rhetoric. Mm -hmm. uh, so so the, the subcommittee process, again, next year they'll probably change it and someone will make a stink about it. it you know, it, it took too long. We took an extra week to go through amendments and we don't have the time. It's taking too long. We need to get to the people. The amendments are not color-coded in my folder. <laughs> there, there, there's always something. And, yeah. and it seemed a little, you know, grasping at straws. But um, hopefully the process, I mean... And that was the only committee that really made a big deal about it. I haven't seen that same sort of, and, and maybe I'm not paying attention or maybe I'm not watching, mm. but it, it didn't seem like any one other committee made a big deal about it. Um, no, the only other complaint that I had heard from some members, um, and this is primarily House Minority Leader Lance Pruitt, was that they shouldn't be using the wonky again. Here we go. Um, shouldn't be using the adjusted base as the platform on which the subcommittee budget was built. They should be using the governor's budget as the foundation. But um, he was present when he made that argument. He he didn't walk out. That that has a, that that means something, I guess, if you're willing to say that out loud to your people, well, <laughs> as opposed to while you're walking out the room. <laughs> right. I mean, the votes were cast. At least people know where the minority members stood on each of those budget items. So where, I I think it was yesterday, the day before, I, I saw you tweet about how, uh, you know, um, you live, you, you, you're born here, you live here, you're raising your kids here, you're, you're going to be buried here. 
uh, you pissed off the wrong person and, and you pissed off the wrong state. You know, kind of speaking to the... We have seen, uh, at, at least in the dec- decade or so that I've been covering the legislature, we have seen an outcry uh, in response to the budget um, that we haven't seen in past years. You know, you, you saw uh, the last round of town halls when legislators came and, and heard from their constituents. Uh, even in the Valley, you had two-to-one people speaking against it. Do you see a palpable difference in the response to this budget, and does it give you optimism? Do you think that it's actually... T- we're, we're heading towards something... Uh, we're at least headed towards... Uh, a compromise that's better than where we started. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, in in the last five years, if you look at what got people upset, it was reductions of the PFD. Right. right. And some, I'd say, public safety type thing. But you didn't see, um, and you had, you know, your groups on Facebook and, and people upset about that, especially, you know, in town halls. But, I mean, now you're seeing just overwhelming response to every nook and cranny of, of, our uh, our neighborhoods and it's fairly amazing because i think you know we talked about when the budget came out it was like okay ferry you know the marine highway system ferries got cut education got cut and health got cut but when you took when you went through it you start seeing things that are really really going to be impactful that mm-hmm. don't make the news when you start talking about the safety net to homeless the, the um i mean things like the arts council or other things that maybe don't you know they're not going to you know affect you know our life our, our our safety and our education but create the quality of life that people mm-hmm. have come to expect and maybe want here in Alaska. So when you really kind of look at the budget, you're like, wow, this is not just some big slashes. This is a lot of little things too. So then, then you start getting those people, public broadcasting people out or, you know, just more and more and more. And it seemed like every person started realizing that our government connects to so much of what our lives are different than other States. Mm-hmm. And if you are into the legislature, into politics, work in government, you kind of know that. If you're just kind of a regular citizen, you don't really understand, you know, that the connectivity between our state government and economy is different than so many other states. So when you start slashing it in, in huge ways, it's impactful. And so um, you started, this isn't an abstract exercise anymore. You know, my time was like, well, if we do cut, here's the impacts. No, no, now it is we are cutting and here we don't really know the impacts, but mm-hmm. we're going to cut it. And we'll let you guys guess. So you get people uh, coming out who normally wouldn't be this upset, but it does make me realize that uh, that people are ready to fight for the Alaska that they want because now it's kind of come at their do- at their doorstep, mm-hmm. and it's encouraging. Every day I'm inspired because you see different groups pop up that on Facebook, like you know we're going to do this rally, we're going to be here before this, or come to this and make sure, you know, uh, you have your signs and ready to talk and don't be scared because we're all going to be doing this. That was just different than, you know, even on my time doing the public testimony with the budgets, it was very different. And so this is, I hate to use the word exciting because it's... Exciting in the face of trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's uh, <laughs> exciting like our our uh, our ship is sinking it's kind of exciting i've never been in this situation before what are we going to do um you got an adrenaline rush but it's not exciting it's it's but it's encouraging to that um you know the sleeping dogs that have that are getting kicked have mm-hmm. woken up i mean they you know the, the, um, they're not just going well you know what are we going to do mm-hmm. eh, shrug our shoulders I th- so it, it has been really cool to see people and groups who have not been active in the past really get active do you think the the the, the separate? Because I agree that there is a disconnect between, you know, the, the normal normal people who work forty hours a week plus, taking care of kids, taking care of aging parents, you know, living their lives, 
don't have a lot of time to do the insane exercises that, that we do and watch gavel in all of our free time. <laughs> free, free time, right? <laughs> yeah. I object. <laughs> Sustained. There was the, the uh, concern that Hammond, I think, poignantly echoed when he w- when the state income tax was going away. And he was saying this is going to sever the, the connection that people have to their government. Do you think that this is an instance, and, and I'm not speaking specifically to an income tax, but is this an instance where the shock of the proposal of the extent of these cuts is enough for people to connect themselves or is it going to take the actual shock of the cuts? I mean, I, I really, I guess there's hoping and yeah, exactly. What I, what I think, I, I hope what you've seen is evidence that says the shock of the the shock of the proposed cuts is enough to make the normal person go, okay, if whatever is part of the solution, I'm willing to be a part of the solution. Um, you know, if that's a income tax or continue, you know, um, keeping with the the restructuring of the permanent fund, whatever that may be. Um, I, I hope, I hope it's the, the former that, that it's the, the proposed cuts go. This is life in Alaska in six months, unless you, the public tells your legislature that, that, that can't be it. I would have been, uh, very nervous moving forward with what was proposed to say, well, you know, until it really, 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 really comes home. Um, you're not going to get this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that there's enough of the public going, no, 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 never mind. We thought we knew. We thought it was just, I guess, you know, they saw one side income tax or a PFD cut is going to cost me, but they never really got the feeling that the other side cuts will cost them. Mm-hmm. And now they're seeing it. And now you have to make the decision point of going, which one creates the, the my life better mm-hmm. uh, and my community better. To look at that in micro, um, in your interaction with constituents, did you notice people drawing a connection between the cuts to prosecutors and the increase in crime? Were people cognizant to the fact that nonviolent offenses weren't being prosecuted and that was a, a contributing factor? Again, when we kind of talked about the facts going, look, here's the number of prosecutions that we're not doing because of our cuts to the Department of Law. People, I mean, people would just shake their head. I mean, they, they just, it was almost incomprehensible. They're going, wow, we're, we're, we've done 5,000 less misdemeanors and hundreds of less of felonies because we don't have, we just don't have the capacity. Well, no wonder, you know, these, these, you know, criminals are repeating, you know, um, doing what they're doing. And no wonder we're, we're feeling that um, we can't get a handle on this. You know, we were able to add, you know, I had the Department of Law subcommittee when I was on finance and we were able to add, you know, two back after the cuts of 24 going, we got to do something. I mean, because that was a feeling when you, when you share that information, when you just share facts, people just go, well, that's not a, that doesn't sound like a place I want to live or that doesn't sound like justice. Um, and even if you weren't a victim of crime, just your sense of that goes, that doesn't sound good when we're, when we're not prosecuting criminals or, or it's taking a long, 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 long time to prosecute criminals. And on the other side, not giving them a right to defense because we're, you know, we're cutting them as well. It's, you know, it's, it's a two-sided equation. Um, people, you know, we, we had a lot of feedback going, okay, that's, that doesn't sound like a community I want to live in. And so when we presented those facts, just like many other issues, uh, people kind of got the picture and said, okay, yeah, let's do something about that. Uh, very similar to 
you know, education and teachers. And I know people go, oh, well, this is a scare tactic that they do is every year we're going to cut 200 teachers and it's going to impact schools. But do we want to wait for people to get upset by re by really doing it? You know, like I said, my kids don't get second and third and fourth grade again. I don't want them to have to go through class sizes of 40 just so that my neighbors can go, okay, we get the picture, let's change it and start, you know, recruiting teachers again. I think most people can understand that, again, the proposed cuts have a big impact and are ready to do something about it. It's the old Reagan adage of it's, you know, a recession if people are losing their jobs. It's a depression if you lose your job. Well, you know, when you got kids going through the school system, uh, it's not just ambiguous education cuts now like you, your, your kids are the statistics i mean that they are the product of whatever we uh put into the schools it's 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 scary i talked to our friends who have young kids and they're terrified hopefully uh, you didn't look at the 10-year plan that got released today no i haven't yet thanks that's on the <laughs> to don't list i'll watch baseball today um <laughs> but i mean it, yeah, I, I to, yeah. yeah no <laughs> I, got that to look I, to. I talk to a lot of people around my age and 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 even a bit younger that i mean it really is becoming uh a very closely metered out you know decision in terms of am i going to chance it out here do i go somewhere else i mean I, my wife and i are in it for the long haul but I don't I don't blame people in the moment that we're in right now and especially on the heels of all the other moments that we've kind of been in for the past 4 or 5 years to start worrying about that. And I keep saying, you know, okay, if if you want a really great metric to measure uh this state going forward, let's let's pass uh Governor Dunleavy's PFD payback plan, but then I want you to uh do a survey of all the U-Haul truck companies and measure the PFD payout with the trucks that you see rented out in the next weeks and months. Because a lot of people are, if they're able to, to cash out, I think a lot of people are going to. And, and I know there have been a lot of comments um, from people who support the governor that say, well, good, get them out. Okay, that's great. But without a healthy and growing population, you're not going to enjoy the quality of life that, that people here have been enjoying. And especially, we're not going to have the quality of life that, that guarantees a, a secure future for the substantial and growing aging population that we have that we also need to really give a damn about too yeah you know it's it's my wife and i my, like I said, my wife is from washington um we met at school in idaho moved back up here because uh, i'm i'm an alaskan and i wanted to have life up here because of how great it is um but we're both 37 college educated with kids who are going to be you know they're not all in school yet, but about to be. And so it is kind of a fork in the road for us to even go, okay, we have friends all across the country who go, you know, you see them on Facebook, right? And they have the, the great photos of that we all put out on Facebook and how great life is. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But when you see communities where, where uh, your friends and family live who are investing in themselves mm -hmm. or states that are now offering free community college, right? you know, or, you know, yeah, people are paying for a sales tax, but look at the, look at how vibrant their downtown is or what mm -hmm. they're doing to their park system with a $15 or, minimum yeah, wage. You know, I mean, yeah. um, so all these different investments, you go, okay, I can get a job anywhere. I mean, I, I feel like I, I could be employable and my wife could be employable. So we'll be fine in terms of making a living. Um, but where do I want to see my community thrive? And I guess my focus has always, and then that's why, you know, I've worked in the nonprofit field and I just like, I like being in a place where the whole community is doing well and thriving so I can walk around and say, man, people are having success and what a cool place to live for all of us as opposed to, well, I have a great job and you know, my car is really nice and my car is fine, but 
you know, other than that, I don't care. That's just not who I am. So I think, you know, my focus is just, okay, what community do, do I want to invest in and be in? Mm-hmm. And right now, you know, if this is, if leadership at, at a, you know, a, from the third floor in the Capitol building says, this is the Alaska that, that I want and want to create, it doesn't really sell me on wanting to stay here short term or long term, really. I mean, there's some stuff that I just question and go, okay, um, yeah, when when can I get the maximum value of my house? I mean, is that I mean, I had that thought once in a while ago. Yeah. Man, is this is, like you said, is this the time now to cash out and mm-hmm. okay, or do I stick it through, try to keep investing, try to keep engaged? Um, unfortunately, I'm not fighting down in Juno for some of these things, but I can tell my neighbors and be active and and uh, encourage others to as well and and do it in other ways, but um I mean, this is a this is a, a fork in the road for many people, especially mm-hmm. I think when you look at like you mentioned so many different aspects and aging population who goes, is this where I want to live? You have a, a millennial Gen Y X, you know, is this where I want to make, you know, spend my best career, you know, highest earning type of years. And then you have a university type age who goes, is this where I want to keep going to school or want to go to school part-time while I work? Is this the place where I want to do? So you have so many different facets of our community that are impacted who are going to have to make these decisions. And, I guess by July 1st, we'll know. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> There's veto uh, season to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a neighbor grab me at Costco. I get, I mean, it's, it's so great, actually. I love that my neighbors feel this way, but they can grab me at Costco and Fred Myers and still talk to me and ask me questions at my kids' soccer practice. I mean, it happens all the time. People, people, well, you were holding the food sample. Yeah. That's, that's, no, that's, that's not me. That's another (laughs) guy who ran in my race. who does that. (laughs) Um, He really does that. It really, does he really? Justin Darden. Yeah. He, he is, he is a a food sampler at Costco. I've, I've seen him several times. I can see that just kind of on a skateboard going down the aisle. uh, hanging out. Um, but, uh, aside, um, people who go, you know, people who don't, they think that this is going to go to the brink and beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in my, you know, rose colored glasses, I hope that doesn't happen because, you know, I mean, cause I've seen the, I mean, I've been on the, in the room that says, here's what happens if we go to a shutdown in our state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a, you know, a cutesy federal shutdown where we just have garbage cans overflowing in our national parks. We have I it's mean, immediate and local. Yeah. And it, would, it would happen. Deep. I mean, you would know, you know, 24 hours later, I think. So, um, but there's people who believe that who mm-hmm. go this 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 uh this governor and his team aren't joking mm-hmm. uh this is what they want whereas i hope cooler heads prevail people who say you know just the general public who keeps engaged with their legislatures who and say we don't want this do something about it um really push it towards a better solution so um like i said by july 1st we'll know what kind of path we're going down and i think you'll have a lot of people choosing you know a or b uh this summer I hope so. I mean, you you mentioned the kind of age demographic breakdown, and it's especially in Anchorage, it's something we struggle with in terms of even if you are uh, catering to the mindset of, you know, well, we just need to get back to 1950 never when, you know, uh, everybody had 2.5 kids and we took care of ourselves and neighbors, you know, uh, shoveled each other's driveways and it was just a perfect community. Um, Even if you want to get to some vision of that, number one, it's not going to happen. But number two, uh, you have to have the younger kids stay around because they're the economic driver that's going to support care for the aging population, which is our fastest growing population in state. And to the people who say, you know, I mean, I have a lot of respect for people who with a lot of legitimacy say there's stuff we need to cut. We have to 
keep in mind that uh, there always is the tendency to spend. Like there are natural constraints that I think everybody struggles with, but need to be acknowledged. But at the same time, if you want to just keep saying cut, 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 let's go back to this fictitious Alaska that I have in my head. Um, fine. But you also have to uh, agree to hop on a plane if you want to go to Target. Uh, the Super Bowl is going to be recorded and sent to you on VHS uh, a day or two later. I mean, there's it goes back to that whole Venn guy diagram of shared truth. Like there's there's stuff that we leave out when we imagine the perfect and and the picturesque um and that's not what people are fighting over right now they're fighting over very concrete things with very concrete consequences and i know that it's the political uh go-to during campaign season to say we're at a crossroads we're we're at the cliff edge we're at the fork in the road it's, it's well, the most important election of our lifetime yeah right? but Every... <laughs> but i don't know that we have been here before uh, like yeah this, this is i think a this will be a complete shift mm-hmm. um in the life of an alaskan uh you know everyday normal alaskan anchorage fairbanks rule i mean this will be a, a shift in in just your life as an alaskan if this budget were to you know go through as as proposed which i think we all agree won't happen right that's kind of what the feeling is um but i i think so I don't, again, I, I agree. I, I don't think that has not been proposed before going, we are going to shift the life of every Alaskan into a different way because of, because of our actions. Um, I mean, you look in the last, you know, like I said, my, okay, 20 years of, of, of kind of understanding life um, as a, as a quasi adult mm-hmm. uh, in Alaska. Um <laughs> It just, it just. Since you're my age, I'm going to go along with that. <laughs> that never, that, that never came up. Mm. Um, it never felt like, um, you know, in my own household growing up, it was. I mean, it was. It just, uh, it just feels so different um, right now, and it, it seems like you know you're on the brink of a of a of a new way, depending on on what happens. So, uh, I think, I think you're you're right that you know the next the next two months are going to you know create a path for for many many people. I think that's a good place to leave it usually you try to end on a happy note but no i think what we deserve is all to be left in a space of suspense sort of damocles it's yeah. just hanging there <laughs> come back soon in, in in eight weeks to see what really happened yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> uh jason grant thank you so much for being here and talking with us and uh hopefully yeah next time we'll start it on a positive note and talk about oh remember that hilarious time where we were all so worried we, we can talk about what's going on in baseball or something yeah. that makes us all smile no thanks for having me i i really appreciate what you guys are doing and um you know I, I really hope that you know people who listen to this and people who are online just stay engaged and and keep poking uh where they need to poke to to make things better for all of us stay engaged but use your real name on twitter so yes. we know you're real no anonymity please <laughs> All right, this is John Aretto for Craig Tootin. Uh, thank you to Jason Gren. This is the AK Ledger Podcast. Thank you.